Hello, everyone. It's good to have you with us. We're continuing our series on Colossians. And I realize I have a Bible up with me, but I did actually include it in my notes this week, which I'm feeling very pleased about. Uh, so we're going to read from Colossians 2, verses 13 to 17. Uh, it, felt, it feels very bold to try and do Colossians in like seven, eight weeks. There is so much in here. Uh, every, every time I spend reading over the verses I could use, I think, man, we need, we need weeks for each passage in this. And uh, we can always go back to it. That's, that's a good thing about it. So Colossians 2, beginning at verse 13, says this. You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, and having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to the religious festivals, new moon celebration, or the Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how you reveal yourself to us. And we pray that we can humbly learn more and more about you. I pray that my words reveal who you are, reflect who you are, and our hearts eagerly receive those pieces that are from you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So a couple of people who were very important to me at the beginning of my faith journey. I, I mean, I think the beginning of my faith journey is about 15 years, so I guess it was towards the end of the beginning, but it was a long period where not a lot was happening. Uh, but then I really started to see people who clearly loved Jesus so much in a way that made sense to me and helped me understand Jesus better. And and those are folks, and, and their story is incredible, uh, but they're their integrity and their authenticity was something that, that stood out to me and to, and to everyone that met them. And their life, uh, they'd been through a lot as well. As I say, their, their life had kind of not been without its cruel surprises. Uh, but in the front of their living room, they had this, uh, and if it was a painting or a drawing that someone had done for them, uh, and this painting was, a, was a, a, ring of, a ring of thorns, a crown of thorns, and within it, well, the words are from someone who I discovered is a French philosopher from centuries ago. And, and those words say, uh, there are some defeats more triumphant than victories. There are some defeats more triumphant than victories. And I think that's something a lot of us need to hear and remember right now. Uh, I've spoken to quite a few people this week from various forms of life who've said they've been, uh, in their words, disappointed uh, by some of the things they've seen on 
Facebook, and I'm sure that's a sentiment that many of us share. Though it might be for different reasons, of course. And, and I'm, I'm trying to pay my best to pay attention to uh, the protests that, that Donna mentioned in her prayers, uh, some of the news coming out of Ottawa, some of the news that's coming out of Toronto downtown right now at this, uh, what they would call a freedom rally, and, and some other folks may give it a different name. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how to respond, uh, and I'll talk about that at the end. We'll get there. Because in the midst of what has been a confusing week and a, maybe a frightening week for some of us and a frightening couple of years for a lot of us and a confusing couple of years for a lot of us, uh, I still get to preach on victory. <laughs> because as I poured over this text over and over again, and as I say, I've spent a lot of time in Colossians and, and what a privilege that I get to do that. That word that came up over and over again was victory. Uh, but as I have alluded, and as we shall explore, there are some defeats more triumphant than victories, and, and that's what this text shows us, I think. Because if we think that victory is achieved through force or might or terror, and, and indeed there are, are certainly folks uh, in those protests that may think that way, I would say that we haven't understood the life and death of Jesus. And likewise, if we think that victory is achieved by doing nothing at all, then we also have not understood the life and death of Jesus. And in the reading from Colossians today, Paul, who's the author of Colossians, is helping us understand what victory looks like. He's helping us understand how victory is won. He's showing us how it's already been won, once and for all. Because the victory of Jesus is not a temporary victory. It is a victory so complete it really goes beyond our imagination and beyond our understanding. Let me, let me read the text again. Uh, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to religious festivals, new moon celebrations, or Sabbath days. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And understanding this reality that is found in Christ requires us to consider the entirety of Christ's victory, which means talking about the victory, but also about the time leading up to that victory too, what we celebrate as Easter. Because really, that week, when you look at it, <laughs> up until Sunday, really looks like a crushing defeat to all the, uh, all the witnesses of the trial, of the crucifixion, of the death of Jesus. Let, let, me, let me go over this. We'll, we'll get to talk about it more soon, because Easter's coming up, which is great. Uh, but, but I think it's important for us to understand 
what Jesus is doing for us to fully understand this text. So Jesus begins this week by riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, and this is a whole sermon which I might do soon because I'm really excited to talk about donkeys, apparently. Uh, but this is a really notable act for a few reasons. The only one that's particularly pertinent today is that when Roman generals had won a great victory, they would arrive back home on horseback. So they'd arrive into the city, and behind them, uh, in shackles, would be the people that they had conquered, the, uh, the generals of the armies that they had defeated. So riding into a city on horseback were, were the actions of a conquering hero. Uh, riding on the foal of a donkey, uh, that's kind of that's something else. I don't know if you've ever seen this visualized, because I, I didn't see it until I actually saw like a movie about Jesus. And if you ride on a, a baby donkey, you're lower than you would be if you're walking. They're tiny. It, it, like, it looks ridiculous. It looks so funny. I really encourage you to look this up. And, and also remember, that is Christ's conquering procession. Just days later, Jesus is, is uh, tried in a, in a sham trial where even the one prosecuting him said, I can't find any charges against him. And yet Jesus still went on to receive the empire's punishment. And, and that sure looks like defeat to me. I, I think if I were to put on trial for things I didn't commit and then were convicted of those crimes, I would call that a defeat. But uh, we, we need to remember that there are some defeats more triumphant than victories. And, and shortly after that, Jesus is nailed to the cross and written above his head are the charges. He said he was the king of the Jews. And I'm sure most of us know that crucifixion was a needlessly uh, torturous and needlessly painful way to execute people. This doesn't feel like a victory, uh, but there are some defeats more triumphant than victories. Here's the... Here's the thing we need to remember, I think. No matter how hard it is, <laughs> it's really hard. And no matter how many times we struggle with uh, remembering, and no matter how many folks we might see protesting people that we disagree with, uh, whatever it is they're protesting, that victory in the kingdom of God looks different, and it is won differently there too. And for those of us who just feel like we're tired, feel like we've had enough, feel like we've been defeated by the state of the world and by COVID for months and years, we need to remember that too, that victory is won differently in the kingdom of God. Because nothing right now feels like much of a victory, does it? But then on that week, nothing looked like a victory with Jesus either. It didn't look like a victory to anyone. And, and sometimes it's only afterwards we can see how victory is won and how Jesus goes about it. 
because it's, it's Jesus offering kindness and hope to the powerless that led him to die at the hands of the powerful. It's Jesus's commitment to enemy love rather than seeking vengeance for himself or his friends that showed us to pursue justice in a way that seeks restoration rather than punishment or retribution. It's Jesus' humble obedience to God rather than Jesus' insistence on doing things his own way that helps secure this victory that, that leads Jesus to be exalted, to have the name above all names. And wonderfully, I think Colossians actually explains how a little bit. So just to go back to this text again, uh, we're told in verse 13 and 14, he gave, forgave our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us. So the, uh, I don't use the King James Version very often, uh, but the King James Version of this verse is, is really beautiful. It says that Jesus blotted out the handwriting and ordinances that were against us, which is kind of more accurate and more beautiful as well. And, and just to get into this stuff, because I'm a nerd and I love it, uh, about 2,000 years ago, uh, well, 2,000 years ago, around the time the Bible was written, uh, paper was really expensive. Paper was a very expensive thing. Uh, and so people would reuse it. It meant that the ink that you used to write on could be kind of wiped away, rubbed away, because the paper was the most valuable part, and the ink didn't stain the paper. It could be rubbed away. And that's the language that we see here when it says that Jesus blotted it out, that he erased it. It, it means those charges are gone. And, and so where the empire brought those charges against Jesus, instead Jesus takes all the charges against us and wipes them away. They are gone. It is like they never existed. The empire thought that there was a victory for them there, but actually there was a victory for Jesus. And Jesus is nailed to a cross, but in verse 13 we're told that Jesus has taken everything that has condemned us and nailed them to the cross, where they remain, where they have no hope of resurrection, unlike Jesus. And finally, we're told that Jesus makes a public spectacle of the powers and authorities. And uh, for, for what it's worth, powers and authorities, that, that covers everything. That covers the natural and the supernatural. It covers dictators and demons and even death itself are all conquered in Jesus. And, and uh, what's more, and this is, this is where I get really excited, uh, this is the same language that's used for those conquering heroes that I, that I mentioned, <laughs> that I was talking about earlier, that when Jesus arrives into the city, those that he has exposed and shackled and conquered are the demons and death and the powers and rulers Every natural and supernatural power is bound behind the donkey-riding, conquering king, Jesus. They strip Jesus of his clothes to, to humiliate him, and Jesus instead strips all the powers, lays them bare, and they're defeated. Because there are some defeats more triumphant than victories.
and and so much of what is happening right now can make it feel like victory is impossible. Like I'm I'm not hyperbolizing. That's like literally how I feel a lot of the time. I know a lot of other people do too. I know that it seems that families are, are more divided than ever, and and there's less empathy than ever, and there's less desire. I mean, loving your enemies always been hard, but we don't even want to acknowledge our enemies as human anymore. But but I do want to talk about the the protest downtown. I think that's important, uh, and I, I recognize I'm speaking as one with a whole bunch of privilege, uh, a lot more privilege than the majority of people in the world, and that makes me ignorant to a lot of things. Uh, it makes me ignorant to the suffering and the plights of people that don't share my race, gender, sexuality, uh, education, the, the list goes on. Uh, and so if my privilege has blinded myself to wisdom here, uh, I apologize and, and, and help me do better, please. And, and I will start. <laughs> I'll start by saying that the reports we hear of food bank volunteers being verbally abused and the reports I hear of women in sheltered residence being terrorized and reports of white power symbols being paraded and, and more than one of the protest leaders being an avowed white supremacist. These are the actions and words and choices that stand in stark opposition to the way of Jesus and to the way that loyal followers of Jesus, the crucified king, have walked for millennia. There is no space for those thoughts, words, and actions in the kingdom of God. I, I need to make that clear. And I, and I think I'm just going to upset everyone. <laughs> but here goes. Because I think actually looking at the worst of a group isn't actually particularly helpful. Let's not compare their worst with our best. Um, a couple of days ago, a counter-protester in, uh, I think, Alberta, I could be wrong, it might be BC, uh, drove into a group of protesters. And there's no space for that in the kingdom of God either. Let's not compare our worst with their best. Let's not compare our worst with their best. Let's, let's just try and understand those we disagree with better. So I think I, I want everyone here, everyone watching, and me myself as well, as hard as this is. I've been trying for a couple of days and I'm not succeeding. But I want, I want to imagine that for the last two years, every time you've seen something about how vaccines save lives, which, to be clear, I believe that they do, but every time for the last two years you've seen something about how they save lives, you've instead seen news saying that they destroy lives. I want you to imagine that every conversation you've had with your friends, with your family, who, who applaud your decision to be vaccinated, who agree how grateful you are for that vaccine, instead you've had a conversation 
with someone who is terrified of it. And perhaps their skepticism about government decisions is, is rooted in historic injustices too. Because that's how some people have been living for the last two years. And, and perhaps against my better judgment, I started trawling through some of the pages of folks who support that convoy. And yep, I'll put my hands up and say I went on those pages because I did not have the mind of Christ and I wanted a laugh. <laughs> and, and I wanted to be right as well. That's what I really wanted. I wanted to prove to myself that I was right, that I was righteous, that I was on the side of Jesus and they weren't. And you can find plenty of objectionable things on some of those people's pages. As I say, anyone with a white supremacist as a leader, just, just avoid that organization. That's just a good rule to live by. But other people legitimately believe that they are doing the most loving thing that they can. And, and that's really hard for me to say, and maybe it's hard to hear as well. Because it's so much easier just agreeing that they're in the wrong and I'm in the right. <laughs> but these are folks who genuinely believe that they are doing the most loving thing. And again, I was looking on these posts because I don't, I don't have that. L let's be clear. Facebook knows what you want to see, and it shows you those things. And Google knows what you want to see. I'm not saying this to frighten anyone. That's just how the business model works. And so I've been surrounded by voices that agree with me in distance from ones that don't. And that's the state that the world's in right now. But actually looking at what these people share, they, they show stories of, of good guys not giving in to peer pressure. I'm like, oh, that's the kind of thing that I want to do, actually. I don't want to be someone that buckles to peer pressure. They, they tell stories of people that are, are willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of their children. This, this is a quote from one of them. It's this weird story, but, you know, like, the bad guys had turned so bad, they forgot what was good, they forgot what was right, they forgot to care for people, the, they forgot to care for the people they were supposed to help. That's what we've been saying too, right? And I can get as angry as I want about this. It doesn't change anything. <laughs> and I get lost in how there could possibly be any victory here. That doesn't change anything either. But it's a lot easier to hate someone when you refuse to see the best in them. And I think... To be clear, I think the worst of that movement is wrong, and I think the best of that movement's wrong as well. But I don't think my words are going to convince them. <laughs> and if I think that words or even might is going to convince them, I'm going to be disappointed. What's more, if I think that strength or might is going to convince them, I think I'm wrong. And also, I need to remember that Jesus goes about victory in a different way. I'm approaching the end here. All I can think about when I read through pages and pages of these words that Jesus declared whilst enthroned on that cross and said, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. 
Jesus knows that there are some defeats more triumphant than victories. And this radical, self-sacrificial enemy love isn't in action. It's actually the hardest action we can possibly do. It's way harder to love those who harm us than those that love us back. Like, I don't know. I was thinking about this. Like, what, what if I just went to the protest and handed out baked goods to people that I disagree with? Like, that's, that's a pretty radical enemy love, I think. And, and to be clear, like, I, I don't do this. And I hate this, I hate this sermon because I don't do those things. And, and I try to preach from a place of integrity because I don't feel like I have much else. And so, this message feels difficult to me because I don't do it. But those are Jesus' words. And, and, and if Jesus, Jesus can forgive his torturers mid-torture, like, who am I? <laughs> so, like, it's radical and it's unpopular and people will tell you that you're crazy but in a, in a world with no triumphant defeats, that, that makes sense. Of course, they're going to say those things, but we don't live in that world and we don't bow to that king. We need to, we need to understand that, that Jesus has won this victory. And, and I know there's so many of us that feel like we're facing defeat so often that the victories come slower or not at all. But Jesus has won this victory. And it might not feel like it or look like it. <laughs> but trust me, as we've learned today, that those lies and those evils try a trail shackled behind the triumphant Jesus who loved his enemies and forgave his enemies. And <sighs> this is my closing line, and it's sticks because I don't know if I'm there. But maybe if Jesus can forgive his enemies mid-torture, perhaps we can forgive those that don't know what they're doing too. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we can follow your example in the times when it is hard, <laughs> as well as the times it feels easy. We pray that we can love our enemies as well as loving those that love us. We pray that you reveal more and more of yourself and that we can reflect you brighter and brighter as we learn more and more about who you are and how you love. We ask all these things in your name, Lord. Amen.